Erwin Lutzer was a, once a pastor at Moody Church, and he was telling the story of a gentleman who went to a psych hospital, much like ours down the road, and he, he met a friend there who was working there, and the guy was taking him on a tour, and he walked down the hallway, and there was a guy kind of in his room, just his head up against the wall, eyes was closed, and he was just kind of saying in a trance, Linda, 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 why did you have to do this to me? And he looked at his friend who worked there and he goes, um, who's Linda? And he goes, well, he was um, a, a man who was in love with a young lady by the name of Linda through high school and college. And then she left him and his heart was completely broken and he could never deal with it. And he's been in here for years. That's all he says. Linda, 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 how could you do this to me? They went a little further down the hallway, took a left. They went to another room. They just kind of paused for a minute and he looked in there and there's another guy, different guy. And strangely, he was kind of saying the same thing. His head was against the wall and he was just like, Linda, Linda, how could you do this to me? And he looked at his friend and he's like, did he get jilted by Linda too? And he goes, no, no, he married Linda. Sometimes, for those of you who are named Linda, I love you. (laughs) But sometimes, when we think we most need something and we get it, we realize it doesn't satisfy. I've often loved Jim Carrey's honesty in his statement when he says, I would wish for everyone in the world to have a million dollars to have millions of dollars, he said, just like me, and you will discover that it does not make you happy. I think there was an honest and genuine statement. I think he was one of those individuals, like every lottery winner out there, who thinks if I can just win the lottery, I'm going to be happy. We defy the odds. We go and buy a ticket. You have a greater chance of being crushed by a whale in the middle of the Mojave than you do winning the lottery. But we buy it. Why? Because we know that the 500,000 people that have won it in front of me, it's destroyed their life. But not me. Not me. I can do it. I can handle it. And we think if we win the lottery, you know what? Our Prayers are answered. Our life has changed. It's going to be phenomenal because we, we think that that would solve everything. And sometimes, like the dear brother who married Linda, we get what we want and we discover it doesn't deliver. ARP was interviewing Bob Dylan one time. And they came to Dylan and they asked him and said, Hey, Bob, um, in all of your success, have you found happiness? And Dylan responded pretty honestly. He says, periodically. Periodically, I've discovered uh, happiness. But the reality is, in this world, if there's going to be misfortune, and there is, then your happiness is only going to be temporary. Jesus was coming to a group of people. It was during a given week, very specifically the week that he shows up in this area. It's the week of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And he comes to them at the very end of the week. It's a seven-day journey. And at the end of the week, he walks into the temple area, walks into the center of the city, and he says, 
Anybody here thirsty? Because if you are, I have got water that will never, ever fail you. You will experience contentment and happiness. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter whether you're having a great day and you won the lottery, you're having a bad day and you lost your job. Jesus says in verse 37 and following, when he walks in and he tells them, he says at the very end of the week, this crescendo of this week, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water are going to flow within him forever. The answer to Bob Dylan's question, have you ever experienced happiness? He said, yeah, I have, but it's very temporary. Jesus would answer that very differently. Jesus, do you offer happiness? Oh, yes, I do. And it's very permanent. How? What was the week? It's important to understand that. Jesus is the master of timing. And the scripture tells us at the very beginning that he has come to town. It was moving around Galilee. And he was coming during what they say in verse 2 is the Jewish feast of tabernacles. There's three pilgrimage feasts that Israelis take. There is the feast of the Shavuot. It's the celebration of the giving of the Torah. And they celebrate this law and they esteem it. Then there's the feast of Passover. And it's the celebration of the deliverance from Egypt. And every male is to make the journey to Jerusalem and families go. And in fact, you kind of see the picture of this. If you go back to Psalm through the 120s into the 130s, these are the Psalms of Ascent. It's what they would sing on their way to Jerusalem celebrating these three feasts. The third one is the Feast of Tabernacles. They call it the Feast of Booths because it was a commemoration, a celebration of not the exodus, but the journey. And in particular, there's something that happened on that journey. You know the story where God poured water out of a rock and virtually kept every one of them alive supernaturally. During this week, both in Jerusalem and in their hometowns, if they didn't make their way, they would put up these booths and they would put them up on the top of their house. They'd put them on the side of their house and there was these little booths. What were they for? They were pictures, if you will, symbolizing this journey that they never lived in permanent structures. There was also four species of uh, branches that they would put together in kind of a wrap. It was a palm tree, myrtle, willow, and a citron. What's that for? Well, it marked this unity that God held them together. Not about you, but it's tough sometimes to get, you know, a thousand people on the same page. Imagine two million plus for 40 years. So they're celebrating God's work of provision, of giving them not only all that they needed, but the unity. And they they would rejoice and they would celebrate. And then they had what they call the water pouring ceremony. At the end of the day, every day, every one of these seven days, there would be a priest. And this would happen all over Jerusalem. There would be a priest that would gather a group of people together and he would have a picture. 
And this pitcher was filled with water. And again, it's the dry season. If you've ever been to Israel, you remember how critical water is and how hard it is to get. And so this priest would be pouring this water, symbolizing what? The water coming out of the rock, the provision of God, and the nation of Israel would celebrate this. That's the week that Jesus showed up. And that's the week at the very end when he shouts to them. Verse 37, on the last day, the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, that's called, he shouted to them, hey, is there anybody here that's thirsty? Now, the strange thing, again, they've, uh, they've been talking about water all week. That's the central focus. That's the water ceremony that they had. And so when Jesus comes to the end and he tells them, anybody here thirsty? It, it both confounds them, but it also is that's all they've been talking about. But they all knew Jesus wasn't talking about, hey, hey, you guys need some water? His thirst was much different than that. <coughs> His thirst that he recognized in them. Any of you here want healing? Oh, yes. Any of you here have a hunger for truth and, and something that can be relied upon? Oh, yes. Any of you here thirsty, you, uh, you want feeding like I just did the 5,000? Oh, God, yes. Anybody here want me to provide for you? Yes. And one of the things that Jesus recognized and he affirmed is that everyone is thirsty. Everyone there and everyone here. He doesn't condemn their thirst. He doesn't chide them for it. He doesn't embarrass them for it. He just simply recognizes it. Jesus is the one. He said, hey, come to me, all of you who are what? Thirsty. Come to me who are heavy and burdened. I'm going to give you some rest. I'm going to give you refreshment. He meets a woman. He's headed to Samaria. And that woman is there at a well. And he says, I have water that you can't Drink. It's a water that will satisfy completely. She's still in the two-dimensional world. Whoa, what are you talking about? You don't have anything to dip the well. And he's, oh, I have something that you can't imagine. He's always addressing, never condemns it. Jeremiah says, my people have committed two sins. They've turned away from me and they've dug broken cisterns. Jeremiah acknowledges thirst and never condemns it. What he does condemn. And what Jesus is offering is would you allow me to meet your thirst because broken cisterns won't hold water. They just don't. But everyone is thirsty. I was chatting some time ago with a gentleman. He's thirsty. Leads his family. God, God's told me to go here. Okay. Wherever he goes, God only has a ticket for about three or four years. And then he has to leave again. Now, what I noticed was is he's thirsty. He longs for a relationship until people start holding him accountable for how he's loving his wife. And then you know what he finds a reason? Oh, yeah, God's calling me. 
to another state, to another place. He's thirsty. He longs for community. He longs for relationships. He longs for brotherhood. But what he doesn't long for is accountability. And see, he's thirsty and he's always trying to find it. And he goes to this next place and it's going to be the best place in the world. This state that we're going to, this is where God's working. God's going to do great things in our family. And God does great things for about two years. And this cycle has happened over and over and over and over again. Probably three, four, five times. Why? Because he's thirsty. Some people move jobs. They tell me today that the average person is going to have 17 different jobs, five different careers. Why? Well, maybe as you get bored or maybe you're thirsty. And maybe there's this sense in you that you want to make a difference. And maybe there's this sense in you that you want to uh, make more money. Nothing wrong with that. And maybe there's this sense that you always have this thirst and it's never getting met. And even if you get a new job and a new boss and a new career, you're still going to be thirsty. And you're going to dig another well. You're going to move another job. You're going to buy another house. And you're going to live in that house and you're going to be just like a kid at Christmas who gets the present of the lifetime. And by the end of the day, that kid is playing with a cardboard box more than the present. Because you're bored. You're thirsty. Jesus comes to them and he says, anybody here thirsty? Anybody here have passions that aren't getting met? Dreams that aren't being realized? Personal habits that you're not finding victory in? Anybody here thirsty? And he says to them, my dear friends, I am the fulfillment of this. Notice what he says in verse 37. He says, on this great feast, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And what Jesus is brilliantly stating is what we have seen and heard. When Jesus says, I have not come to condemn the law. I have not come to eradicate the Old Testament. I have come to fulfill it. Everything, the Passover, the word, the provision of water, everything Jesus says points to me. And he tells them, if you want your thirst quenched, you can pour that water out of that pitcher all day. You can make this pilgrimage a hundred times. But you're still going to go home thirsty. Unless you understand that what Jesus is saying in this text is I am the fulfillment of that feast. And when he comes to them, he offers them, I have something that you need. It's called living water for a thirsty soul. Christ, how? How on earth can we ever get that? He tells them. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 7. He comes to them and he's having this discussion with his brothers. And his brothers are a little annoyed at Jesus. 
because they come to him and they're kind of arguing with Christ and they say in verse 3, Jesus' brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see the miracles. I don't know about you, but I think this is understandable. Jesus is doing some pretty spectacular things and these guys are thinking, if you've ever seen, you know, Rain Man when Tom Cruise's brother, Dustin Hoffman, he discovers that this brilliant autistic brother of mine is going to play well in Vegas. Well, that's what these guys are saying. They're saying, Jesus, you know, you come to Judea and your capacity, I mean, we're going to be a superstar group. That's all you have to do is you have to go and do your stuff publicly. And they, they go on and they say, no one who wants to be a public figure, let me rephrase that with what I think they're really saying. No one who wants to become famous acts in secret. And since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. And others perform again, Jesus, and we'll, we'll buy into that. And Jesus comes back with this. Dear brothers, dear friends, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. You see, if you're going to experience the living water of Christ, you have to be willing to surrender. Surrender to his plan. They wanted him to perform miracles. Jesus wanted to go to a cross. They wanted superstardom. Jesus wanted humility. They wanted justice like the equalizer performs. Jesus wanted to let weak soldiers take his life. I don't blame them. It's in us. I was reading this week, the number one streamed show on Amazon Prime is what? Jack Reacher. Number one, 1.9 billion streams. You know why we stream that? Because we like his justice. We like the fact that he goes up to some slimy little biker and headbutts the guy and puts him in the hospital. We like that. We don't like this. We don't. We we don't like sacrifice. We don't like turning the other cheek. We don't like surrender. We don't like forgiveness. We, We don't want Peter's sword put away. We want Peter's sword pulled out, put in the hands of a couple of, you know, burly angels and say, go ahead and just fillet them. But if I'm going to experience the everlasting flow of the power of the Holy Spirit, then I have to realize I have to surrender to Jesus's plan. And his plan is not to create superstardom. His plan is to go and die on a cross, forgive your sins, offer you new life in Christ. His plan is different. And it's completely contrary to my flesh. And my guess is yours. 
It's contrary to what we've been trained. It's contrary to what we have been modeled. It's contrary to all the things that we love in this world. And yet, then God comes along and he says in John 3, 16, hey, if for God so loved the world that he what? He gave up his son. Gave him up for what? Adoption? No, death. He gave his son for death. That whoever believes in him shall have life. Everlasting life. And Christ doesn't come into this world to condemn the world. It's not his purpose. He's not come into this world to wag his finger at all of the Republicans that you hate or all of the Democrats that you hate. That's not God's agenda. He actually died for them. And he expects you to love them as much as he does. So I can't love people who ruin our country. God does. He died for them. At least that's what it says in scripture. And so I look at that and I think, do I want the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes, I do. But do I want to surrender to the purpose and to the plan of God? Who doesn't come in and force his strength on people but he comes in to die. Not only that must we surrender, but we have to submit. If you move to verse 16, Jesus answered, he goes, my teaching is not my own. No, comes from him who sent me. And if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Don't rebass that too quickly. What does it say? There comes that point in your life. The more will be given to you when God sees what? Obedience. It's just beside me that we think somehow a person can come to faith in Christ and make obedience an optional thing. I'm not saying we're perfect at it. I'm not saying we nail it every time. But if I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I want to experience the power of what Christ wants to bring in me and I want to experience something in this life that defies the context that I live in and gives me joy in the midst of, even in the midst of death, then I have to decide, am I going to make my own journey? Uh, Caleb was talking about this journey that we're on. Oh, you right. The question is, is it your journey or is it God's? Is it something that I'm putting together or is it something that God has put together? And am I willing to submit to him and am I willing to take his word, all of it? Or do I parse it out and take only the parts I like? Do I take just the parts that make me feel good or do I take the parts that really require something of me? And Jesus is coming to them and he says, my dear friend, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. You see, if you passionately become obedient to God's word, In that very process, you will experience the veracity and truthfulness of Christ. And the Spirit of God will work in you. 
And it will lead you to the next one. And that is this living water comes when we surrender and we submit and when we depend upon Jesus. Jesus comes to them. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Let him drink. What was this whole week celebrating? A God who would bring water out of a rock. A God who would bring salvation out of death. A God who would provide a power through the Holy Spirit that would enable you to live a life that defies all things. Notice what Christ goes on to say. Whoever believes in me, verse 38, as the scripture has said, streams of living water are going to flow from within him. Verse 39, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. That's you. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. What was the intent of Christ? Is I want to help you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to help you walk in this continual dependence, this pouring of the Holy Spirit from within you that does in your life what God did with that nation years ago out of a rock. I want to bring you life. I want to keep you alive. I want to give you something. What does he give you? There's these four things I want to identify. Number one, he transforms you. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, there's a transformation. It's not just an intellectual ascent of faith. There is a radical transformation of your life. The scripture says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's not an old barn with a new paint job. That's a new creation. That's not some person who's got the righteousness of Christ hovering over you. That's Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live by faith. I don't live the same way. My heart is not the same as what Jeremiah described. It can't be. Not if the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. And you are a new creation. Your heart is renewed. The breath of life and the breath of God is poured into you. You have a power and you have a transformation. You have a renewed mind. That's what Jesus is saying. Are you thirsty? You can go dig a bunch more broken cisterns. You can move to a thousand different states. You can grab five new wives. You can get another job. You can get another car. You can do anything you want. But maybe you ought to try letting Christ give you a new heart. The power of the Holy Spirit comes in you and he will do one thing. First of all, is he will transform you. Secondly, he will empower you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things? Yeah, that's what the Bible says, not me. It's the power to endure. It's the power that comes into a person's life that then enables them to persevere. It's the power that James was talking about when he was, when he was talking about an individual 
who is experiencing trials and he said, hey, don't look at trials as a bad day. Consider it pure joy. What lunatic says that? The person who has the power of God in him. The person who has the power of the Holy Spirit. The person who can overcome the pushback of the enemy. The person who has grit. Because this powerful flow of Christ in you gives you sustaining power. Gives you enduring power. Not only that, it gives you transformation and power and wisdom influence I love Paul's prayer Ephesians chapter 1 he said I have not stopped giving thanks for you guys remembering you in my prayers I pray that the God of our glorious Jesus would give you the spirit of wisdom and understanding just park on that one for a minute. What, what, what is he saying? He goes, I, I want to unleash you in this world with a sense of new wisdom. You're going to see why your neighbor's marriage is a wreck and God's going to equip you to help them. You're going to understand why there's a friend of yours that has been trapped in her wounding for 30 years and has never gotten over the wounding, has always held on to it, and has never been able to forgive. And you're going to see through that, and you're going to see the power of that, and you're going to be able to help because that's what Paul prayed. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you might know the hope to which he's called you. Well, we live in a despairing culture. Suicidal ideation is kind of common language now. In fact, if you're hopeful, they look at you like you're either drunk or just disconnected. But Paul says, no, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you might know the hope to which he's called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the power towards those of us who believe. That's Paul's prayer, really application of Jesus. I want you to have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you so that you are literally like supernatural beings in this world, uncharacteristically different than the streets. Finally, I want to give you the Holy Spirit who is going to pray every day for you. Groans that you, you can't understand. Groans that are, are beyond your and my able to articulate, but God's going to hear them. And the net result will be, is, Christ, is it possible to be content every day? Yeah. Is it possible to be happy continually? Yes. Is it, is it possible to have the thirst of my life truly met and satiated? Yes, it is. But you have to be willing to surrender. And you have to be willing to submit. And you have to be willing to walk in dependence just like the nation of Israel experienced for 40 years. Where God brought supernatural water out of a rock 
and he will bring supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in you. How do we do that? Is it possible? Yes. Absolutely it is.